0: Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is the power of grace. Now, here's Bill Homme. There's an old story told. Of a family who goes on vacation to the big city. Now, they were from a very rural area. They had not, didn't have a lot of money, so they had to save up a long time for this vacation. And the story happens in the early 1900s, and the industrial age is hit, and they want to go to the city, and they want to see the skyscrapers and all the sights and everything that's happening. So they get to the hotel, and dad's at the desk signing the family in, and mom and the daughter are walking around the lobby. Checking out the sights, electric lights on every table, this cool architecture, this grand hotel, the fancy furniture, it just goes on and on. And finally they come to something they haven't seen before, an elevator. And the doors open, this old man goes in, the doors close, some lights blink, a bell rings, The doors open, and a young man walks out. And the mother, without taking her eyes off this wondrous device, taps her daughter on the arm and says, Go get your father! (laughs) I don't have a magical device that will make us all young again. But that's a little bit like God's grace. Before God's grace, we kind of look one way. After we're covered in God's grace, we look completely different. And that's what we're going to be talking about a lot in the series we're starting today on Galatians. So today we start our our series, maybe today, there we go, Galatians chapter 1. It's the power of grace. And Paul is going to be talking a lot about grace about the law, how these things work together, how, how do they correspond to each other? Which comes first? Which is more important? It's it's a huge thing. And before we dive in, I kind of want to give us a little background on the Book of Galatians. Now, Galatians and Romans are probably two of the primary books that define Christianity and how we believe and the things that we do. And so, this is a very important book. Um, for us it, it lays the basics of a lot of a uh, christian faith and you know again we're dealing with this law and the grace and how much do we have of one or the other and this is something that the early church was struggling with as we're going to see and it's something we still struggle with today because sometimes as humans we tend towards the extremes we go way over there we'll go way over there, or we'll go way over there. And, and we, we don't know what to do with the law and grace and how do they work together and how do they, how do they coexist and what's more important. And so um, this is kind of what we're going to be talking about as we go on. So, you know, when we talk about who wrote a book of the Bible, generally um, everybody agrees, but there's always dissenting opinions, right? There's a lot of Bible experts out there. And again, lots of views of different things. But you get nearly 100% um, agreement that Paul wrote the book of Galatians. We know this. And probably of anything that we see in the Bible that all the experts agree on, it's that Paul is the author of the book of Galatians. Anybody know where the city of Galatia is? Trick question. There's no city of Galatia. Just seeing if you were paying attention. So Galatia is a region that's now in what we kind of would call southern Turkey. And it was actually a series of several churches, the churches that Paul probably set up in his first missionary journey. And this is the only letter we have from Paul that goes to a group of churches and not just one. So um, it's a little bit unique in, in that area. And this book was written around 49, 50, maybe 51 A.D., 50 years after Jesus died. It's written about the same time that the Jerusalem Council happens. The Jerusalem Council is recorded for us in Acts chapter 15. And some people think the book of Galatians was written just before that council. Some people think the book of Galatians was written just after that council. But they all happened about the same time. The Jerusalem Council, if you remember, because I know you guys are all Bible experts... I had to look it up too. The Jerusalem Council is when the apostles come together and say that the Gentiles don't have to follow the Mosaic Law. Okay, And so this is a big deal. And this is what Paul is dealing with in the book of Galatians. And so all this is going on. This was a a hot topic for the early church at the time. And they were struggling to figure out what do we do with this Mosaic Law? And what do we do with... With grace, and how do they fit together? And um, so all this is, is kind of working together. Now, one thing we should be clear of when when we talk about the law, and I say the law, most of us think of like the Ten Commandments, right? Or you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right, And that's what we think about being the law. But what they're really talking about here is all those thousands and thousands of laws that had been developed over thousands of years by the Jews on how to keep the law. See, they they read the Ten Commandments, and you look at number four, and it says, Keep the Sabbath day. Don't do any work on the Sabbath. And they say, Well, what's work? So let's start defining it. Well, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. But you can do that. You can do that. And so they, they had all these laws, and there were just laws and laws and laws and laws. And you couldn't keep track of them all. And when it was time to go to temple and confess your sins, sometimes you just kind of showed up and said, I'm sure I didn't mess something up. It's, it's, you know, I, I don't know what law I broke, but I'm sure it was one of them, so here's an offering. Because you, you didn't even know there was so much. And so when they're talking about the law, they're talking about all this stuff. Okay? And and this was this was a tough deal. Because if you look in these early churches, you kind of have three groups of people, at least in Galatia here where Paul's writing. You've got Jews that have converted to Christianity. You have the Gentiles, which are the unchurched essentially, converting to christianity and now they got to figure out how to get along and work together and this is tough because the jews have not been so kind to the gentiles we're a little better than you right now they got to figure out how to get along and so then there was a third group of some kind of what paul calls false teachers who are out there who are probably jews who are now coming along and saying Look, all that stuff that the Jews used to do, that's important stuff. We did that for thousands of years. you got to keep doing that. And then the conflict begins. How are we going to deal with this? What's going to happen? Now, we know that Acts 15 says that through grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And we know that we are saved by grace. But Acts chapter 15 hadn't been written yet when Paul writes this letter. And so this is a tough topic for them. And Paul kind of points to his own life and says, Look, I did the whole law thing. It didn't come out so good, right? So um, let's open our Bibles. We're going to dive right into Galatians chapter 1. Get out your Bibles. Get out your devices. And uh, let's turn to Galatians chapter 1 while you're doing that, I'll tell you another little short story. So there's a man who, when he was working on his projects, didn't like to be disturbed. And he would work on his project, and if his wife wanted to talk to him, she would come and wait. And when it was time for her to talk, he would look up at her. When he found a breaking spot, he'd look up at her, and then she could talk. So one day, he's in the garage working very intent, and she comes in and quietly stands by his side and waits for the cue that it's okay for her to talk. After a moment, you know, he reaches a a stopping point, looks at her, and she says completely calmly, without any excitement in her voice, the house is on fire. (laughs) Now there are times for polite social norms... And there are times to come in like a wild banshee yelling, The house is on fire! And Paul takes the second approach here in this book of Galatians. He starts right out. No polite social norms. Usually when Paul would start one of his letters, it starts out with, Peace be unto you. So nice. Let's look and see what Paul says in verse 1. Paul an apostle not sent from man nor by a man but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me Paul goes for the juggler right off the bat no hey what's going on man how about those Dodgers none of that he just goes listen I was not appointed by a man. I was appointed by God and I'm sending you a letter. Y'all better sit down and listen up. You can almost hear that in his tone, right? It's like when your parents use your middle name. You always knew you were in trouble, right? When when mom broke out the middle name. And and Paul kind of starts out with this, right? Because now, the people that are going to be reading this, they've, they've listened to Paul. Paul came and established the church. And now they've been listening to these other false leaders. They don't know who to believe. And so Paul sets right up off the bat who sent him and where he comes from. And what do we learn from that? Oops, I'm sorry. One more thing. So verse 6 then, he's, he gets right into what the problem is. He says, listen, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. And Paul says, listen, what they've been telling you is no gospel. It is not good news. In fact, it's the opposite of good news. They are perverting the gospel of Christ. The gospel doesn't need any additions. It's okay the way it is. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again and He took care of it and it doesn't need me and you to boost it up. Amen? It stands on its own. Paul continuing in verse 8 says, "'But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse.' As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now our English translation is a little bit politically correct here, maybe. Right? They they, they use the, the, the accepted language. We say God's curse. The original language is a little bit stronger if I understand it right. I don't speak these ancient languages, but when I read some of the books, that word that was used is really God's damnation. And Paul's not cursing here, but what he's saying is, the people who knowingly pervert the gospel are under God's damnation. See, because God's going to someday take care of sin, right? And the people that knowingly pervert the gospel are in and under God's damnation not a place i want to be this is really serious this is really serious right and it's not just a curse but they will be separated from God eternally what do we learn from that distorting the gospel is a serious offense Distorting the gospel is a serious offense. Now here Paul starts reminding us about his backstory, just in case we had forgotten. Verse 11. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. How did the twelve disciples learn about the gospel from Jesus Christ? Paul didn't walk around with the twelve disciples. How did he learn about it? From Jesus Christ. Remember when Paul's riding into Damascus, getting ready to kill some of the Christians, and God knocks him off his high horse, literally and figuratively, right? And God teaches him about the gospel. He doesn't learn it from any but any human. Now, Paul was trained by one of the best Pharisees, um, Gamaliel, who was a very famous Pharisee. Uh, it was like going to an Ivy League school. He had been trained by the best of the best, but that's not how we learned the gospel. Verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism and how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. When Paul was following the law, what does he do? Destroys the church. Why? Because that's what legalism does to you. See... Sometimes we start out, and we say, well, i got to keep all these laws, and I have to do all this stuff. And then you kind of start thinking, well, you know, I've got to do the right thing to get to heaven. Because if I don't do the right thing, I won't get to heaven. And since I'm going to heaven, I don't know about all y'all, but I'm going to heaven, what I do is now right. And if you don't do what I do, it's not Right. And if it's not right, you're not going to heaven. And if you're not going to heaven, you can't be of God. You've got to be of the devil. I ought to destroy you. That's an oversimplification. But you see how we get there, right? When it's on what I do, anybody who does it differently than me is wrong. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the only way to God. But there is not only just one way to Jesus. Right? We get to heaven, there's going to be Catholics and Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and all kinds of people there. They all believe differently. So how did they get there? It wasn't what they did it's the grace of God see and so when you start focusing on what you do you end up in a really hateful vengeful nasty place you ever met somebody that gets mired down in the legalism they're doing it wrong stay away from them they're evil no 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 we're supposed to love everybody So this is, is what Paul's talking about. And he goes, look at my life. Look at what I was doing. I was under authority of the church coming around trying to destroy Christians. He could legally kill Christians. We talk about persecution. Because, <laughs> you know, we get persecuted if, you know, somebody makes fun of us. There's a whole different level of persecution. Verse 14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Yeah, he kept the law zealously, right? He was a first century rising star. He was the up and coming Until God comes along and knocks him down. Verse 15, But when God, who sent me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, and was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. Why does Paul think God did this to him? So that I might what? Preach among the Gentiles. Paul says, God did this to me so that I could go out and tell people who don't know about God that now they have an opportunity to know about God. This is good news. This is the gospel. This is grace. And now you guys are mucking it all up with a bunch of other old Mosaic law. Stop it. Right? Can you hear the frustration in his voice? See, his life begins to change when grace is in his life instead of the law. Continuing in the last part of verse 16, it says. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. Now, if, if you are not Paul, but you're somebody involved in the church, and you're watching this, and Paul has been persecuting the church... And all of a sudden, Paul claims to have a a revelation from God. And he's not going to persecute the church anymore. He's going to become a preacher. Number one, you're highly suspicious, right? Number two, he didn't go talk to, like, the conference people, right? In Adventist lingo, right? He didn't go to Andrews, check out the seminary. He didn't go up to the conference, get approval from the president or whoever. He doesn't get ordained. He goes to the desert. Why? That's a great question you're going to get to wrestle with in your small groups this week. The Bible doesn't really tell us exactly why. I imagine that it has something to do with Moses going to the desert for 40 years. And Jesus going to the desert for 40 days. And Paul going to the desert for three years. See, you need some time to get your act together. You need some time to build your faith. You need some time to build that trust in God. And Paul goes off and does that, and it says later then, he comes back to Damascus. After that, and we're going to skip a couple of verses here, um, it says he goes back to Jerusalem to visit Peter, and, James's, and James, Jesus' brother. So when he finally does go to Jerusalem, he talks to Peter, the rock, who Jesus says he's going to build his church on, and Jesus' own flesh and blood brother. So Paul's dropping names. Paul's like, I was sent by God. And by the way, Peter and James said it's okay. All right. He is, I mean, he is establishing who he is and his authority. Verse 23 and verse 24 says, The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. What a difference grace has made in my life. I went from killing people to telling people they can be saved in Jesus, and the church praised God because of me. What a huge difference between grace and legalism. What do we learn? Number three, only the gospel saves. The strongest argument for the gospel of Christ, I think, is personal testimony. It's the story of somebody's life who was changed. Charles Bradlaugh, an avowed atheist, once challenged the Reverend H.P. Hughes to a debate. The preacher, who was head of the Anglican Rescue Mission in London, England, accepted the challenge under one condition. That he could bring a hundred men and women whose lives had been changed because of the gospel. They would tell their story, and they would submit to any cross-examination anyone wanted to give them. And he challenged Bradlaugh to do the same thing, to bring a hundred individuals who had benefited from their lack of faith. On the day of the debate, the pastor showed up with a hundred souls in tow, and Bradlaugh didn't show And the people that were gathered to hear this great debate between atheism and Christianity instead got to hear a hundred testimonies. And they say that many were saved because of that meeting. Because the changed life is what is real. And it shows the power of the gospel. When we lose the gospel of grace... We lose the power of the gospel. Grace is important. We're going to keep talking about grace more and more and how we struggle with the... I mean, we still have the law, so how do these things relate together? We're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep talking about that. But this is chapter 1, getting us started into Galatians. The gospel is the message that Jesus came and died for our sins. And it's the only way we can get to God let's pray Heavenly Father Lord I man, just at a loss because I don't even know where we'd be without your grace Lord we tried the law for so many centuries and it, it was not good Lord and we're, we're so grateful for the grace that you give us that covers us up Lord We just ask that you help us understand how to deal with that, how, how to, to, to live in that, and yet still respect the law, Lord. And these are the things we're going to be struggling with as we move through this series, Lord. We ask that you give us the wisdom to see and understand, Lord, and the strength to apply this to our lives, because our changed lives are the best example of the gospel, Lord. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. May I that you be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.